Hey, great to see you here uh, today. Thanks for being here. We had a lot of fun making, those, uh, making that Grinch video. Uh, that one we call uh, Mac and Cheese. That's the uh, <laughs> name of that one. <laughs> and uh, no, computers, no computers were harmed in uh, making that uh, video. Well, uh, great to have you with us. Hey, before I get started, I want to give you just a quick update on Lake Point Church over in Muskego. We helped start Lake Point back in 2012. They're part of our 5 and 10. They're on the wall, picture out on the wall by the Red Sea. And last weekend, they had their grand opening last Sunday on Janesville Road in their facility. They took a uh, Piggly Wiggly grocery store and transformed it. And over 450 people attended uh, last weekend. And let's give God a hand for that. That's just great. We're really... Excited about that, and uh, that's just awesome. So, gra- so grateful to, to, that we were able to be uh, part of that. Well, we're thrilled to have you here as uh, we continue the uh, series, How to Hug a Grinch. Loving the people that try and steal your uh, joy. And the reason we're talking about this is because Christmas can be a wonderful time of the year with gift exchanges and trees and lights and cookies, but it can also be a difficult time of the year because all of us have somebody in our life who just seems to have the ability to take the joy from our uh, life. In fact, I came across this list on a website of things that people do that annoy us, most annoying things that people do. And I read over it and I thought, yeah, you know, that's annoying. And so here's what I want to do. I want to show you a few of these. And I want you to clap along if you agree that these things bother you as well. All right, here's the first one. People using speaker phones in public areas. Yeah. You know, when I'm walking through Target, and uh, I don't need to hear about your doctor visit, all right? Just put that thing up to your ear. Next one, people that leave crumbs in the butter. Yeah, that's annoying, isn't it? All right, people who interrupt your story to tell their story. Yeah, you know, glad you brought that up. That reminds me. Yep. And then people who join you in the middle of the movie and say, what did I miss? You missed the movie. Watch it another time, all right? And then last one here, people are close, people are close talkers. Sometimes we see this going on in the lobby and you watch people and it's like they're doing a dance. You know, one person leans in, the other person leans out and they're doing a waltz, you know, right there in the lobby. Anyway, those are kind of silly, but the truth is that all of us have somebody in our life that does far more than annoy us. They do far more than nag us. They steal our joy. They rob our happiness. They drive us nuts, and they can make our life and our Christmas a lot less fun. And so we're talking about what does God have to say about loving these people and dealing with the Grinches in our life? And, you know, what can we do to heal the impact they've had on us, and how do we become immune to the things they do? Well, last week when we started off, we learned this principle that uh, not only do other people steal from us, guess what? You know, you and I, we steal from others. And for every one of us that can think about a Grinch in our lives, somebody else out there is probably thinking of you and me. And so Brandon taught us this principle where Jesus taught us to, you know, put down the magnifying glass and pick up the mirror and see our own imperfections and how God wants to change us. Well, today we're going to take it a step further because when it comes to Grinches, we've got kind of a built-in antidote for many of them, and that is we just leave. I mean, if your Grinch is at work, you know, you, you leave at the end of the day, right? You can just go home. Or if it's your neighbor, you can just avoid them. But what do you do if your Grinch lives with you at home? You know, if, 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 if your Grinch is that person, and regardless whether it's your family or your extended family, they take your joy and dreams and hopes. And many of us, we've got somebody like that at home. 
And it's far more annoying than crumbs in the butter or interrupting your story. It's much bigger than that. Now, for some of you, the Grinch that you're dealing with is, is a, a short season. And you know that. For example, maybe you've got a toddler at home. And, you know, you love your toddler and you're thankful for your toddler. But at the end of the day, the truth is you feel exhausted because that toddler has a way of just draining the life out of you. Or maybe your kids are older, they're preteen or they're uh, teenagers, and they're beginning to you know, push their limits and expand their boundaries, and they argue uh, much more often with you. And uh, you know, you're thinking, you know, I love you, I'm just not sure I like you uh, right now. And you keep telling yourself it's only a season, but it feels like a hurricane season, and it just won't let up. Now, for many of us, this season, it lasts a lot longer. Maybe your Grinch is a parent. And even though you've grown up and, and, and you've moved out, you know, your parents use guilt and, and shame um, and manipulation. And you're trying to honor your parents, but at the same time, you know, you're trying to avoid them. Or maybe for some of you, you've got a grown child at home and you're trying to help them, you know, move on with their life. But there, there seems to be kind of a failure to launch that's, that's going on here. And you're not really sure, how do I support you and love you? And help you move on to the next stage in your, in your life. For some of you, your Grinch that you're dealing with is your spouse who is maybe abusive or addicted or just not, you know, carrying their load at home. And you've asked yourself, is there an out clause in the marriage vows because they're not full, fulfilling their end of this deal? You see, all of us have somebody in our life who steals our joy and we're not really sure how to deal with these Grinches. Well, this is one of the reasons I love the, the Bible, because the Bible, I mean, explains things so clearly for us. And, uh, you know, maybe you're somebody who doesn't really read the Bible because you think it's myths or fables or just stories from a long time ago. But the truth is, the Bible uh, speaks to relevant issues in our lives uh, today. And so today we're going to look at a scripture that's going to help us learn how to deal with these Grinches at home. If you have a Bible... I want to encourage you to go ahead and open it up to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. Go right there in the middle, hang a right, go past the uh, biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and get to the letters. And one of them is Galatians. Or if you don't have a Bible with you, use the one in the chair back in front of you. It's on page 813. And if you need a Bible, keep that one. That's our gift to you. But before we dig into Galatians, you know what? I just want to go ahead and tell you the antidote to dealing with these Grinches at home. And here it is. The best option, your best option, is boundaries. Boundaries are the best solution. Now, we all know what a boundary is, right? It's that line, you know, that signifies the end of your property and the beginning of somebody else's. When you buy a home, you go through a property assessment, and they figure out, you know, where that line is to indicate the end of yours and the beginning of somebody else's. And the same thing needs to happen in our relationship. Several years ago, two psychologists who also followed Jesus, Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend, wrote an awesome book called uh, Boundaries. It's a fantastic book about understanding the lines and boundaries in relationships. They went on to write several variations of this that sold over two million copies, and they went on to write boundaries for kids, boundaries for parents, boundaries for leaders. But in this original book, they talk about establishing boundaries in relationships. Now, some of you are probably thinking, boundaries? That's, that sounds like self-help. And that's not really why I came here today. But, but the truth is, boundaries are actually very 
biblical. Let me show you some examples of boundaries in the Bible. Take a look at this one here. This is from Psalm 1. One, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with mockers. He's talking about it right there. There's, there's a line between the company you keep and the company that you avoid. That's a boundary. Take a look at this next verse from Proverbs chapter 4. Uh, Solomon says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Now, I want you to notice something here. Whenever you see this phrase, above all in scripture, that ought to just set off a flashing light. Because the Bible is an above all kind of book. And when the Bible says something is above all, that's like above all squared. And so we really want to know, what's he, what's he talking about here? And he says, above all else, guard your heart. Now, is he talking about our physical heart? No, he's talking about the core of your being, the core of your values, your emotions, your feelings your responsibilities. And he says, when it comes to who you are, the core of who you are, you ought to put a boundary around it to guard it so that everybody else doesn't just run over it, okay? Do you know that Jesus also taught about boundaries and he established boundaries for himself? In fact, there was a time when one of his closest followers, a guy by the name of Peter, challenges Jesus. Jesus had just said that he would have to go to the cross to die for the sins of the world. And Peter says, no, 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 nobody's going to kill you. I'm going to protect you. And I want you to notice the boundary that Jesus establishes here. He turned to Peter and he said, get away from me, Satan. Now think about that, okay? Imagine if Jesus said that to you. That'd leave a mark, wouldn't it? I mean, not, you know, hold on for a moment. Get away from me, Satan. That's how adamant Jesus was. He says, you're a dangerous trap to me. You're you're seeing things really from a human point of view, not from God's. Here's what Jesus is saying. I've got a destiny to pay for the sins of mankind, and I've got a clear boundary to keep out anybody who tries to stop me. In other words, God's call on your life to love people does not negate God's call on your destiny. God's call in your life to love people does not give you permission to mismanage God's destiny for you. That's a boundary. All right, one more here. This comes from Titus chapter 3. Paul writes, if people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. Here's what he's talking about. This is for the church. And he says, if you've got people in your church gossiping, bitter, angry, criticizing, three strikes and they're out. Because if that keeps going on, it's going to be uh, destructive. It's going to be divisive, and you need to get rid of it, Paul says. That's a boundary. Now, here's something I've noticed about boundaries over the years. I mean, all of us probably agree that we need some boundaries, right? We need boundaries at work. You know, we need some limits at work and in friendships. Sometimes we need some time uh, apart. But when it comes to boundaries with family, I've noticed that people tend to, to lean one way or the other. And so I want to describe for you two camps of people, and I want you to decide which one you're in. All right, here's the first one. There are people that are just all boundaries. And there's all boundaries. They just build boundaries around their heart, and they keep people out. This is the person, for example, the moment their spouse does something wrong, you know, they say, you know, that's it, we're finished. Not three strikes and, and, and you're out. No, you know, we're finished, we're done. Get gone, talk to the hand because the face isn't listening. We're finished. They're just all boundaries. You only get one shot with them. Or, you know, the in law, they get mad at the in laws. The in laws make them mad and they say, okay, we're finished. Well, what do you mean? Well, you're not going to see the grandkids anymore. We're not going to be around here anymore. Well, are you bitter? No, it's just boundaries. Consider yourself deleted. 
bye-bye, you know? And they're just all boundaries, all the time. And some of us fall into that category, but here's the problem. The nature of the relationship should determine the nature of the boundaries. And when it comes to close family, uh, we, we, need, we give boundaries. When, when we give the boundaries, they need to be given with more grace. More grace. Now, here's the other camp people fall in, and, and that is no boundaries. None at all. And they just let people walk all over them, you know? You know, this is the, 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 the wife who's, uh, whose husband goes out on the weekend and cheats on her. And uh, he comes back, says, I'm sorry. She says, that's all right. And he goes out and does the same thing the next weekend. I'm sorry. Oh, oh that's Okay. And again and again and again, no boundaries. Or, you know, these are the parents that decide to give their 16-year-old son a a new car. And uh, he goes out and wrecks the car. You know, they get him a new car. He goes out and wrecks that car. And then they get him an Escalade, you know, to handle the the wreck, the the next one. And it just keeps going on and on and on. No, No boundaries. These people say, I can't put boundaries on them because it doesn't seem loving. And the phrase they come back to is unconditional love. That's that's my mom, that's my child, that's my spouse, and I love them. But here's what I would say to the no boundary people. Unconditional love does not mean unconditional resources or unconditional permission to just run over your heart. And so there's a difference between these two camps. And for those of us that lean one way or the other, the Bible has such great uh, wisdom on on how to determine what to do. And this passage we're going to look at from the book of Galatians gives us two portable ideas that we can take with us and carry with us to establish boundaries in relationships. So let's take a look at the first idea. You've got to learn to love without rescuing. Love without rescuing. Rescuing is enabling or codependency. And we hear people talk about that and we think, well, that's not me. But sometimes it is. Here's the difference. True love without rescuing says, listen, I'm on your team. I want you to win. And I'll do what I can, but I'm not going to do this for you. I'm not going to fix your problem. That's love without rescuing. And it's so hard to learn how to distinguish between these two. But this passage from Galatians can help us figure this out. Take a look here at what Paul says in Galatians 6, verses 2 and 3. Paul writes, share each other's uh, burdens, and in this way you obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help somebody, you're only fooling yourself. And I love this next line. You are not that important. Isn't that great? Paul says, you know, those of us that think, you know, we're too busy or too above it all to help out with other people, he says, you're not that important. You need to share each other's burdens. You You know who he's talking to here? He's talking to the people, he's talking to those of us that are all boundaries. And he says, you need to lower your defenses from time to time and actually help somebody else out with the burdens that they carry in life. It's not not forever, it's for a season. Carry each other's burdens. And then I want you to see what he says a couple verses later. He He says, for each one should carry their own Load. It's a little bit confusing, isn't it? I mean, it sounds like he changes his tune here. He, he just said, carry each other's burdens, and now he says each one should carry their own load. Well, do you know who he's talking to here? He's talking to the people that are no boundaries, those of us that, are, that, that have no boundaries. And he says there comes a moment when we actually need to decide to let somebody else carry their own load, where you decide this is your problem, and I'm not going to fix it. 
Okay, this one is yours. For, for instance, if you're in a, an abusive relationship, you need boundaries. And you, need to not just, you may need to not just call on Jesus. You may need to call the police. That's a boundary. Or let's say you've got a child, a 30-year-old child who, uh, who lives um, on your couch playing video games all day long while you do the laundry. Might be some time for boundaries to help that child learn how to launch. Or maybe you've got somebody living with you in your home. They, they went through a difficult time years ago. You let them move in temporarily, okay? And now it's years later, and they could easily live on their own. Some people are better loved from a distance. And, you know, maybe it's time to establish a boundary. And so Paul teaches the issue is not all boundaries or no boundaries. It's having the right boundaries for the right situation. Now, here's the big question. How do you know when it's time to put up a boundary? Well, here's where the Bible is just really brilliant. Let's look at these two verses again, side by side. This word burdens here, okay, in the first verse, in the original language, the image or the picture for the word burden is the word boulder, okay, a big rock, a boulder that's so heavy nobody could carry it on their own. You know what a boulder looks like in our life? Yeah, it's, it's dealing with the, with the loss of a child. It's dealing with cancer, or divorce, dealing with financial collapse, a weight that is so heavy, nobody could carry it alone. And when you see that in somebody, somebody else's life, you know, you step in. You help them out for a time, for a season. Carry that burden. But the word in this uh, next verse here, uh, this word load, a couple verses later, in the original language, the picture for, for the word load is more like a backpack, and a backpack is, is your feelings, your emotions, your, your responsibilities, your behaviors. Paul says everybody should carry their own backpack because the moment you take somebody else's backpack, now you're carrying two of them and they're not carrying their own. You know what can happen when we do that? We try to make a miserable person happy. And that doesn't work very well. And so this is when you decide, you know what? You need to get a job. You need to get sober. You need to manage your emotions. You need, to, you need to manage your happiness. You need to go to and, and attend Celebrate Recovery on Monday nights at River Glen because this is your load. This is your backpack uh, to carry. Now, now, I know this is tough. And, and so here's a question I, I'll, I'll give to you that can help out in determining whether it's a boulder or a backpack. And the question is this. Should they do this for themselves? Should they do this? for themselves when it comes to getting a job or getting sober or managing emotions? Should they do this for themselves? And if the answer is yes, then let them. Because the moment we confuse the two, we take on more than we can handle and everybody loses. Should they do this for themselves? Okay, that's how you figure this out. Now, let me give you one caveat to this, okay? If, uh, you know, let's say, it's, let's say it's tonight, it's bedtime and you're getting ready for bed and your wife you know, leans over and looks at you and says, hey, honey, you know, you know, before you get in bed while you're still up, would you go downstairs and get me a glass of water? That's not the time to say, Pastor Ben said you should do it for yourself. <laughs> all right? Don't bring me into it, all right? That's your backpack to carry, okay? But here's what's going to happen. The moment you decide to, to establish some boundaries, you're going to have some difficult conversations And so let me give you one more idea to think about. Learn to confront in love. Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 6. He says, gently and humbly help that person 
back onto the right path. In other words, love them enough to confront them, but confront them in love. Look at how brilliantly Jesus explained this in Matthew chapter 18. He said, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Notice this. Just between the two of you, not on their Facebook wall, not in a group text, not, you know, a bunch of us got together and talked about it. We think you're really screwing up your life. No, don't do that. Just between the two of you. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. So this, here's what this means. This means you start from a position of, of love. You don't confront somebody to prove a point, you know, to, to, to show them how wrong they are and how right you are. You do this because you love them, because you want what's best for them. That's why you have this conversation or you make this change. It also means don't be afraid to say no. You're the kind of person that has a hard time saying no. Are you a telemarketer's dream? You know, do you have like, you know, five insurance policies and 10 sets of steak knives and a timeshare for down in Kenosha? Because, you know, it's hard to say no, you know? And when it comes to boundaries, the fear is, you know, what if, what if we say no? They're going to ask why. And, you know, what if we don't know what to say? Dr. John Townsend tells a story about a guy who gave him the appropriate response to the why question after the no. And here it is. Here's the question. Or here's, here's, here's the response. Because that doesn't work for me. Think about that. That tone doesn't work for me. That behavior doesn't work for me. That addiction doesn't work in our family. It becomes clear when you establish what works and doesn't work for you. And then I'm going to warn you, heads up, this is the toughest one, this next one. Give consequences if necessary because sometimes people don't understand. No, they understand pain. And especially with, with, with kids, sometimes you have to inflict consequences so that they understand the no. Dr. Townsend tells a story about a, a couple and their 19-year-old daughter. They sent her off to college and they paid her way. But when she got to college, she forgot about her education and she forgot about her faith and she just partied all the time. And, uh, you know, they asked her about it. She lied to them. They confronted her about it. They even shared Bible verses with her, but she didn't care about any of that. And then eventually she came home for uh, winter break. And one night she goes out, she stays out all night and returns home. And her parents ask her about it and she lies again. And finally they said, this isn't working for us anymore. And they put some consequences into play. They said, we're not paying for school anymore. We're not paying for anything anymore. In fact, you need to pack your things up. And uh, the next two hours, you need to leave. Uh, They said it was the toughest thing they ever did. Their daughter argued with them for a while, but then she packed her things up and and left. And, And then about three months later, she called them back. She had been living with friends from on couches, you know, here and there, and she realized she was wrong and that she needed to change. She called them up and she apologized and they let her come back home. Eventually, they sent her back to college. Her grades went up. Her faith came back. And she would tell you it was a defining moment in her life when somebody loved her enough to not only establish a a boundary, but to give her some consequences. But here's the pushback. You know the pushback that that all of us have with boundaries because you're probably experiencing it right now. I just don't know if it's a loving thing to do. I don't know if it's a nice thing to do. And you know why you're, you're thinking that? Same reason I think that. Because the other person might not think it's nice. The other person might not like it. They might not like you. 
Here's what I've noticed when it comes to setting boundaries. My number one obstacle is my fear of what somebody else will think. And I've, and I've noticed the reason for this obstacle in my life is because affirmation from other people is way too important. See, when we begin to live our lives based on what other people think, it just totally messes up boundaries. It's almost like we need something else to give us fulfillment so that we don't need affirmation as much from other people. Reminds me of something I learned a, a, a few years ago about eating. I was, I was struggling with overeating and, and dieting. Maybe some of you can relate. You know, you go on a diet and they really limit, you know, the, the food that you can eat. You know, they, uh, you know, the diet I was on, I could eat like one piece of pizza. And, you know, who wants to eat one piece of pizza, you know? I mean, if I could eat one piece of pizza, I wouldn't need the diet. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be struggling with uh, overeating. And so I struggled with pizza and other foods. But a few years ago, somebody gave me some very helpful advice for situations where I had a hard time controlling my appetite. Maybe, you can, maybe you've experienced this. You know, you go to an event, right, and uh, you're really hungry, and, you know, you, you have to eat what they serve you, right? Um, you, you can only eat what is available, and if it doesn't fit your eating plan, it can be hard uh, to control your appetite. And so I remember, you know, a few years ago, going to a banquet for my son's team that he played on, and I knew they were going to be serving pizza and, and chips, and I knew the banquet was going to last for several hours, and so I had to eat something. I had to eat. I was going to get hungry. And so here's the strategy somebody suggested to me, and I tried this, and, and it helped me. I ate before I went to the banquet, and then I didn't need their food as much. And I remember I even ate a piece of pizza, and I enjoyed it. I felt satisfied because I was already filled up. And here's, here's the thing I've noticed. Here's my point. Here's the thing I've noticed in my relationships with people. When I'm filled up with God, when I'm filled up with God, not only do I have more to give, I don't need affirmation from other people near as much. In fact, the most satisfied people you will meet are those who believe the best about other people, and they need the least from them. And the only way to get to that point is to allow God to fill you up, to allow God to satisfy your heart. And then you're able to reach out and help people and love people without having to rescue them. Let me pray for us, and uh, then we're going to share a time of communion uh, together. Let me pray. God, I, I thank you for your amazing love that has the capacity and the ability to fill us, fill us up and satisfy us, and allow us to live lives full of, of joy and love. And God, I pray for the hearts in this room right now that are dealing with a child or a parent that they've had to demonstrate some boundaries to, and it's so painful for them, and they just need your encouragement that they're doing the right thing. God, I pray for those people right now who are, who are feeling like they need to maybe set some boundaries, maybe with a spouse, maybe with a child, and they just need your encouragement and strength to do it. God, as we move into a time of, of communion, we want to be just so filled up with you so that not only do we have something to give to the people in our lives, but we don't need their affirmation for our self-worth because we're, we've already found it in you. And so God, during these next few moments, would you just fill us up? And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the bread and the, and the communion trays that are going to come your way represent Christ's body. The juice represents Christ's blood sacrificed on the cross 
for all our sins. And I want you to know our communion is open to everybody who receives, you know, the love of Jesus to fill your heart.